Did you know that according to all known laws of graduation, there is no way that a film student should be able to get a job. Its degree is too useless to get its fat little body into a job. The film student, of course, tries anyway, because we don't care what boomers think is impossible. <laughs> That's right. I'm Nick, and today we're talking about the certified meme machine, B-movie. This is gonna be fun. Get it? B? <laughs> Monica, don't. No, I, I played the drinking game for this film, oh and I had God. to give up halfway through. Me, what? I wait, had wait, to wait, give wait. up halfway through. What were the rules, though? What were the Literally, rules? just drink every time they said B. <laughs> so it was like the video, but every time they say B, you get less sober. Yeah, that's the idea, and it's oh a my God. bad idea. At least it's a very bad idea with wine. Maybe try it with something less alcoholic yeah. Next yeah yeah time. yeah and we're going to be discussing the iconic revolutionary video as well as all the memes but first let's lay some groundwork right so jumping straight in i mentioned last week that b movie started as a joke and that kind of explains the why because if you're watching this movie sober and then as an adult a lot of it is just you thinking why? Why? Why does this exist? Why 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 does this exist, you know? Like i ask myself that question every day anyways it exists because of privilege you know the privilege of connections having friends in high places because like being established and being surrounded by yes men so like two men are having dinner one's a comedian and the other is a director and producer no the comedian he, he makes jokes because that's what comedians do mm. and the producer takes it seriously hence the b movie and those two men, respectively, were Jerry Seinfeld and Steven Spielberg. And since assuming makes an ass out of you and me, we're going to remind you who the, those two boomers are. Especially because last time I spoke about Spielberg with a certain Khan, Khan. he was like, yeah, Ugh. Khan was like, oh, Spielberg's not that great. And I wanted to like reach through the computer screen and throw a water bottle at him because this film nerd, this fucking film nerd had apparently forgotten about, oh, I don't know, E.T., Schindler's List, the Indiana, the Indiana Jones trilogy, Jurassic Park, okay, and okay. Jaws. I'm, I'm going to stop you right there. That's so film bro of you, Nick. I know. I know, but <laughs> no, we literally studied Jaws together. You, me, him, some other nerds. We studied it together as a new mm-hmm. genre-defining classic that reinvigorated what we now know as the contemporary Hollywood blockbuster. And you're telling me that Spielberg isn't that good? What do you mean? <laughs> like, he's not doing so good these days oh with God. his yeah. big friendly giants and his ready player ones, but he was genuinely a master of his art mm-hmm, in his prime, mm-hmm. as was Seinfeld. In a way, maybe, B-Movie kind of signaled, or maybe was just coincidentally coincided with, the end of the prime for both of these artists. It came I mean... at a weird point in their careers. <laughs> It, it, it did, but, like, sue me because... Man. <laughs> I, you know, I actually never got into Seinfeld. Like, I would see it on TV and then, like, switch the channels as soon as I see it. Like, I've seen, like, maybe one or two ebbs that, like, I force myself to watch because I'm like, oh, I should probably get into Seinfeld, you know? And then... I kind of just never really cared mm. for it afterwards. I was like, oh, this is just another comedic sitcom by a white man. <laughs> oh, no. And I I know, like, I actually didn't even know who Seinfeld was until, like, I was 19. It was, like, last year. Oh. So, yeet. That's right. You now have the ability to roast me now. Gen Z over here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I get it. That's that's not actually that uncommon, uh, like, amongst Gen Zs. Like, I didn't really know who... I Like, I kind of knew who Seinfeld was, but I didn't really know him until mm. like i mm. want to say 2018 when mm-hmm. my boss at the time had that bass riff as his ringtone <laughs> and okay, he that's... never had his phone on silent because he was a gen <gasps> x motherfucker he oh never had God. his phone on silent mm-hmm. and so it's just like that bass riff just i'm just like fuck it. i gotta watch a few episodes of the show so like yeah if you're a gen Z. 
sweaty. You're just normal and completely fucking valid. I'm the weird one because I actually do know who Seinfeld is now. And honestly, this is going to be the whitest thing I've ever said, but I actually kind of like it. And I kind of, I mean, like, really? And if you're going to bring up Seinfeld versus Friends, Seinfeld wins every time. Mostly okay, because that, I despise Ross. That is true, but also I kind of wanted to get into Seinfeld. I actually recently gone to tried to get into Seinfeld. I watched like maybe one or two episodes, like several months ago, because because the guy that I was seeing had a Kramer painting in his room, and I was like, oh Wait, my god, oh, ooh, is that a Ash Kramer? has a Kramer painting. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's the guy from Seinfeld. Uh, is that a that's cream? iconic. That's the whitest thing ever. And this so is a South Asian man. <laughs> and I was like, and I, and I found that attractive. Wait, did you found Kramer attractive? No. I found the fact that he had a Kramer poster behind him attractive. <laughs> It's really funny because the crayon poster is next to like a painting that he painted when he was three. So he's like, he's an artist, guys. Uh, yeah. Anyways, um, I used to love Friends so much when I was younger. Like, Fuck did you know you. that? <laughs> like, it's Friends okay. isn't good. I used to love it as a kid. I was like. Friends is like the best thing ever. Um, and like small tangent, but my mom used to tell me that I was named after Monica as a kid. Oh, and no. I be- and I believed it until I was like 16. I used to tell everybody that I was named after Monica from Friends because everybody loves Friends. Like, anybody that doesn't have a personality and only like goes on like fucking Pinterest for fun. White people. Loves Friends. And I don't understand why. Um... But I recently found out from my dad, he was like, he actually named me after a hotel owner, which I think is significantly better than being named after fucking Courtney Cox, you know? Oh, but fuck Courtney Cox. I actually hate her. She, I, Courtney, Courtney Cox? More like Courtney Cock, am I, I right? I don't know why people keep kept putting her in things in the 90s. Mm, mm, mm. I like, I will be like watching a random movie from the 90s and then it's like, oh, Courtney Cox uh, yeah. is in this? Ew. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so, like, I, I, I absolutely hate Friends now. Like, every time I see I, like, absolutely cringe. You know, the first few seasons are good-ish, but by the end, you just, oh, And it, it was always, it just, it just made it shit. And also, fuck Ross! Fuck him! Fuck mm. Ross so much! Whiny bitch ass whore man! Fuck him! Mm-mm. He can go get fucked. I... I hate her so much. God, I hate him. Anyway. I hate I hate him. That was a big tangent. So, a lot of people, especially our age, disagree with my notion that friends can suck Seinfeld's dick. And that's because Seinfeld is actually pretty hard to translate both internationally and into a contemporary cultural comedy context. It's so quintessential 90s middle America, you just, you don't get it if you weren't yeah. there, you know? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't even around in the 90s. I wasn't even conceptualized or even gestated during that period, you know. But here's the thing that... Yeah, but the thing is, do you actually know that Seinfeld was actually getting cancelled by Gen Zs? That's why we kind of never got into it. It got cancelled? Yeah, it got cancelled. Like, it got cancelled on Twitter and, like... A lot of these Gen Zs were kind of, like, picking apart um, Seinfeld. Like, oh, this is kind of racist or this is kind of, like sexist and like oh my god he's so homophobic he's such an asshole why did we even stand this place like how, why do we even like fucking stand this guy and the reason why is well because it's during the 90s like nobody cared during the 90s and they did some really messed up stuff in the 90s like blackface was still a thing like they did the same thing with friends they they like cancelled friends for being like homophobic, and it was. It made me very uncomfortable to watch that as a fifteen-year-old. I was just like, "Oh, that's that's that." But um, speaking of friends and Courtney Cox, she was in Ace Ventura: Pet Detective, and that was a very early '90s thing. And the whole joke, in big quotation marks, was that the villain was secretly a transgendered woman. 
and it just, it kept going, and I'm like, was this the 90s? Was this just accepted? This is horrifying. This actually leads to tangible deaths and hate crimes, this sort of attitude. And this was the night. Oh my god. Yeah, like it was it was just really weird and you can see the double standard between Friends and Seinfeld like for some reason people canceled Seinfeld so hard but they canceled Friends and then they just liked it again for some goddamn reason. Just such a weird double And I'm just like how come you can't forgive Seinfeld but you can forgive Friends? Like they're both in the 90s. They both have some very weird and oof ideologies. But for some reason, because Friends has Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox and, like, whatever her name is, Lisa Kudrow, whatever, wearing really cool 90s outfits that now everybody just loves Friends because they want, they, like, kin with them, they stand them. Like, there's, I saw I saw, I saw a Monica fan cam on Twitter, like, a couple of days ago. What? Ugh. I know. But thank God I didn't actually, like, really grew up with, friends or like Seinfeld I grew up with horrible histories in ABC3 oh, yes. <laughs> I still watch horrible histories I still do. the first two seasons are on Netflix I know I actually did recently binge um the first two seasons on Netflix the songs are yes. such bangers but you know back in the 90s though Seinfeld was actually the master of that sort of you know classic observational humor that you found in those late night 80s early 90s you know the cliche of, like, what's the deal with airplane food? <laughs> that sort of thing. Like, he, he did that. That was him. That way, he, did, like, he, did he actually, like, come up with the, huh, what's the deal with the weather, am I right? Was he the one that He came didn't up? come up with it, but he typified it. Okay. He mastered it. Mm. And then he killed it. Oh, and it's damn. just like, you know, we've sort of grown out of that. Mm. And, like, everybody has. You, you can't just do observational humor and expect our generation to laugh like the only thing we laugh at these days are deep fried memes with like 80 layers of internet culture in them and come like <laughs> yeah but if you do happen to vibe with that sort of humor of seinfeld then it almost like actually does feel mm-hmm. effortless it's like a big facepalm of my goodness what an idea why didn't i think of that with with like he's saying exactly what i'm thinking only he made it funny yeah that's pretty low brow though like it's not that sophisticated humor it was the 90s mon it was a different time i'm just saying the 90s don't exist to me because i wasn't born during the 90s and i did not live during the 90s thus it did not exist in my brain hot take But the point of all this context is that the show of Seinfeld is actually really useful for explaining a lot of the why in B-Movie. Like, you watch a few episodes and you're like, ah yeah, I can see that this is the guy that made B-Movie. Like, you remember the Tumblr trend of people taking out-of-context screenshots from B-Movie and adding a caption like, this was a children's movie? I, yes, I, I, Tumblr just always tries to cancel everything. I, it wasn't really a cancellation, it was, it was more of just like, what the- oh yeah, look, this grandma's getting a gun pointed at her. This was a children's <laughs> movie. I, I just I just think Tumblr just shouldn't exist in general. And I, I absolutely, look, okay, this is, I don't know, this is such a tangent, but Thomas Jefferson Miki Binder. What? Thomas Jefferson Miki Binder. No, what? Hamilton. Thomas Jefferson with yeah, a Miku binder. <laughs> with a what with binder? With a Miku binder. Miku. Hudson and Miku binder. Okay, and um, what kind of hu- binder? Okay, so this is the thing. So basically, um, okay, this is such a weird tangent from B-movie, but Hamilton, right? So Hamilton, yes. the, the musical Hamilton. Yes. Thomas Jefferson, who's played by Dave, um, David Diggs, right? Yeah. Yep, yeah, so... They drew him as an OC, but they made him, like, a bisexual, transgender, closeted furry um, who is an otaku and is learning Japanese, um, is a weeb, and um, (gasps) has... Oh my god, I have seen that. He wears a Miku binder. Oh my god. They made made Thomas Jefferson, who... I'm pretty sure might have owned slaves. I don't know anything about American he history. He owned about 
600. He definitely owned slaves then. He he did some fucked up shit he, to his slaves. He owned slaves. He had a plant. He was doing stuff and they made him have a Miku binder and transgender. And this is, I, I am so mad about it. I don't know why this exists. This is why I don't like Tumblr and why I don't understand. Anyways. Uh, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, you know, the the funniest one of those trends to me, it was the one where Barry's just like, how about a suicide pact? And you're just like, Jerry, what? And then you do like a little googly search for like, say, top 10 episodes of Seinfeld because mm. you're doing a bit of research for mm, a podcast mm, script. Mm. Who knows? Who knows? But, and like, the first one that comes up happens to just be the called The Contest. Now, this is... Seinfeld was prime time, wholesome family fun for 20 minutes, yeah? Supposedly. <laughs> yeah, supposedly. Would you like to know what this titular contest is oh, in the episode? Enlightened me. The premise is that after George's mother walks in on him masturbating, she falls what? over, breaking her back in shock, and the four main <laughs> characters make a bet to see who can go the longest without having a wank. This is the part in the episode where Mon goes, I hate white people. So, like, this is such a weird, like, thing, but is it true that a lot of white people base their personality traits kind of around Seinfeld characters? I don't think so. I think it's more that the Seinfeld characters actually do feel like real people because they're, they're shit people. And they're not shit people mm. in the friends way. They're shit people in an actual way. Like, should I like if somebody hypothetically had the Kramer poster in their room? Should I be worried? <laughs> should I be worried? <laughs> no, Kramer was an iconic character because he was just meant to be like this little side thing. But because of the live studio yeah. audience, like he got a lot of traction, and especially because he doesn't live with Jerry, but. He would always do that classic sitcom thing where you burst into the room and the audience just goes, whoa, for like two minutes because it's like, it's, it's him. It's Kramer. So, he's just, he's, he's very weird. He's like. So, 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 Kramer, if, if somebody was to supposedly like Kramer, what would that say about their personality? It would say that they like weird characters that's good okay will they kill me mm, jury's out <laughs> yeah i just don't want this person to be psychotic anyways <laughs> <He's not gonna laughs> moving on anyway so <laughs> you get this wanking contest in seinfeld so you look at b movie and yeah that weird line about the suicide pact is not unprecedented jerry it's weird, but it's it's normal for Jerry. He loves getting things under the radar. He like he makes adult comedy, but he puts things in them that seem like family fun, which as we know, Dreamworks, the company that produced move B movie, fucking loves. I mean Dreamworks really made the dream work, am I right, guys? Hell am yeah I they right? did. You are they made right. the dream. You are yes. always right. Thank you. As a matter of fact, not only is this aspect completely precedented, though, so is the lack of focus on a coherent plot. Like, Seinfeld the show is frequently labelled a show about nothing, and the structure of the show demonstrates that as a comedian, Jerry's main concern is always the comedy. For Jerry, the hardest thing about B-Movie was making sure that the plot didn't run out of steam, and extending what turned in what started as a little joke just meant to make Spielberg laugh into a feature-length film. I always, I, it's really weird, I always thought Jerry Seinfeld was a character. Like, I just didn't think he was the real person. I thought he was a character on Seinfeld, and yeah. Yeah, well, in the show, it's kind of weird, because, like, he actually, he does play himself, but, like, a caricatured mm. version, so yes mm. and no. It's also really weird, because, like, at the start and end of each episode, he's doing, like, stand-up to a crowd, and it's like, is this the Jerry from the show or the Jerry from real life? It, yeah. it doesn't make sense. But, you know, it's his weird kind of humour. And you see that as he's a comedian, 
the he bounces off that energy from the audience. You know, while he was producing B-Movie, he would actually sit in on test screenings for it and to feel the vibes of the audience reaction, where it got laughs, what worked, what didn't. And in the end, he was actually kind of disappointed with the lukewarm reaction it got. Mm, okay. I mean, I wonder what would happen if we were to sit, like, in a screening of millennials and Gen Zs watching B-movie today so he can hear the laughs. Like, in mainstream American film, particularly Disney films, like, they tend to be, like, they tend to be put together by, like, executives as opposed to people with genuine artistic vision. So, like, maybe DreamWorks, on the other hand, has always been sort of kind of counterculture in a way, which explains why the better Hollywood animal, like, the better Hollywood animated films definitely come from oh, them. Absolutely. Fuck you, yeah, Khan. Disney Pixar's <laughs> Inside Out wasn't that good. Shrek 2, on the other oh, hand. Okay, Kung Fu Panda, How to Train Your Dragon, Shrek, Chicken Run, Prince of Egypt, The Road to El Dorado. Mm, like, all mm. these films were made by the superior animation company out of the two. Keeping in mind that we live in a world of animation is so much bigger and honestly, and so much better than just DreamWorks versus Disney. And I'm just saying, Inside Out wasn't that great. I did not cry. Yeah. I did not even shed a tear. I did not I feel didn't a even thing. Love. I did not feel a single thing. And I cry a lot all the time. All the t- you cry at everything. I cried everything. Yeah. Like literally everything. But I did not cry in Inside Out because I kind of wanted to be kind of eaten inside out by that movie. I didn't really like it that much. Yeah, it's like baby's first exploration of depression. Boo hoo, get in line, dude. <laughs> get in line. We all have it. Yeah. <laughs> oh yikes. <laughs> so you're Disney doing oh boo hoo. Let's let's see what depression looks like, but explain it to children. Meanwhile, DreamWorks has the balls to just give Seinfeld absolute fucking creative freedom to do what he mm. wanted with B-Movie. So there's some really weird shit in it. Like, it's really weird. And, like, mm. the writers said that they weren't really making a kid's film. They were making a comedy. That was always the goal from the beginning. Just comedy. Fuck them kids. Yeah. <laughs> Seinfeld really said, fuck them kids. <laughs> That this brings us to what Spielberg actually found funny at that fateful dinner. What is a B movie? The term B movie originated throughout the golden age of Hollywood, which was between the 1930s and 50s when the studio system ruled the land. Now, and a, a B movie was in essence similar to a B side in music, where the product like where the product is seen as lesser quality and thus placed in a less prime spot. But just like B sides, B movie don't actually have to be bad in fact yeah that's just where a lot of cult classics come from which in a way makes b-movies cult classic status even more fitting now much like a lot of our terminology the system from which it came no longer exists however we still talk about b-movies which are often defined by their own low budget sloppy production and strange use of genre and this strange use of genre is from where B-Movie kind of derives its structure from. Yeah, like, you watch this movie, and I counted three genres the first time I watched it as an adult last year. Mm -mm. But this week, I managed to count six. Six? Six? So, it's a a Bildungsroman, it's Mm. a rom-com, there's a little bit of a thriller in Mm. there, there's a legal drama, obviously, there's a heist in there, and at the end, it's a disaster film, and it's all wrapped up together in this neat little bow of environmentalism and maybe communism? Did you just say communism? Maybe. Maybe. Mm. Alright, so the first and main source of conflict in the movie is Gary's detestment of the corporate structure of honey production and his desire to break free from the confines of his society. The first sign of counterculture we get from him is his questioning the widely accepted brutal system as he says so. As he says, so you'll just work us to death? Come on, come on Nick. Everybody mm. else is complacent with the system. In fact, they're amazed by it. But the film stance does sort of get a bit messy because, like you said, Seinfeld wasn't aiming for thematic coherency. He was aiming for laughs. But still, let's ask question. Let's let's just ask the question on everybody's minds. Are bees communists? Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, bees are... They're bees. Okay, bees are amazing. They're, they are, but they're, they're bees. Bees, 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 
<laughs> We've been assigning bees meaning for like a long time, mm-hmm. just like we as humans assign everything meaning. Because we see the behavior of the bees as representative of collectivism and obedience at the cost of personal liberty, it doesn't mean anything. It's humans imposing their political and economic structures on animals who who are bees. They're just bees. Yeah. They're not communists. They're bees. <laughs> communist bees. Communist bees. bees. Communist bees. Communist bees. <laughs> now, way back in the 16th century, bees were seen by the English as nature's endorsement of the monarchy. As you see, the one queen bee ruling over everybody else who does their job, living and dying for the queen. Which, side note, until the 17th century, they thought it was a king. Fucking men. No, we're not going there today. We're not. No, I forbid it. However, at the same time, like, across the English Channel, Mm. French Republicans, who were very clean on lopping off the heads of all their monarchs, saw the bee as representative of communal ethics and workers' rights. They saw bees as a labour union, in essence, which then got... Which then, in like the twentieth century, got turned back on an- on them by anti-unionists during the Cold War, as the bee became the symbol for the swarm that herd mentali- mentality. Ooh, communism bad. Okay, but I'm all for communist bees. Communist bees. But- I know you are. <laughs> but what we see, regardless of interpretation, is a few key aspects: a lack of autonomy for the individual extreme dedication to the hive and a focus on the good of the majority so are bees communists hate to break it to you folks but it really depends on how you impose your personal politics your experience and your view of the world onto bees which i remind you they're bees but biz biz bitch they don't have to deal with money politics or thinking too hard they live they pollinate they <laughs> they vomit out some honey and then they die god i wish that was me <laughs> okay so b movie contends that bees are living under a brutal system one that does not suit Barry's wants and needs, but most of the other bees actually like. So ultimately, whether the bees agree with Karl Marx is kind of irrelevant, considering it's more so a comment on rebellion and individuality, as we see that Barry ends up leaving the hive life to be with Vanessa. (laughs) You can say it's unbearably wholesome. That's the worst, I can't believe. Moving on. So yeah, you can dig into it as much as you like, but the why of this film, the intent, which is basically the first thing that you should usually get into when you're doing Mm -hmm. a critical analysis of the film, is the intent of the creator. And the intent in this film isn't to make some grandiose criticism of capitalism or communism, it's to make you laugh. Sure, there's plenty of swipes Mm. at various little things, and the setup really does seem like they're going to be lampooning a corporate monopoly-type system aspect of capitalism, but all of that is really pushed aside when he just starts suing the human race for no fucking reason. (laughs) Actually, plenty of fucking reasons. Weird reasons. I mean, I would sue the fish that decided to walk out of water, because now we have to go to work and pay taxes because of that stupid little fish. Yeah, I don't know. Fuck that fish. Although, the writers did actually go to some weird places in developing the bee world. Like, they actually did put some weird amount of thoughts in it, because the bees have cars, right? So the writers Mm. were actually arguing whether or not the bees would have to have car insurance. Why the bees had cars. Who is making the bee cars? Who makes bee cars? Yeah, who? One of them, one of the writers said that with animation you're creating the world and the rules for the world. And when that means comedy, everything gets blown apart. So So you're really just gonna sidestep the in-universe interpretation of systemic oppression that bees face and go with the boring real-life answer of shut up they're bees hey hey hey, i am not coming out of this the same way i came out of happy feet i'm fucking not i'm not (laughs) doing that that being said we did discuss how climate change fiction is beginning to decentralize humans in our Happy Feet episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in real life, bees are actively becoming symbols for the delicate balance of the ecosystem. Yeah, and for are. good reason. They do mm. a lot for us. I know. 
the these these days tend to represent our agricultural practices that are actually ruining our ecosystem which you see from all of the attention they get like hashtag save the bees and they're really important pollinators which if you've forgotten from year nine science is when you get the grains of pollen and move them to the stigma what quick question what's stigma it's like it's like ligma i'm not falling for that one (laughs) no <laughs> oh, okay. Well, well, at least I tried, you know. But speaking of, of bees and saving the bees, I'm just going to have this quick little rant here. It, don't worry, it's, it's, it's actually very, very um, connected Careful. to bees. But on TikTok, there's this lady, her name's, uh, I think it's Erica Thompson. And she is the CEO of this, like, kind of bee group. It's called Texas Bee Works. And they basically save bees. So you know how you have like beehives, mm. they basically remove beehives, but instead of like killing the bees, they actually take, she actually takes the bees and then she moves them to her own like little bee area, like bee nursery or something. And then she keeps it in like all these places and she looks after them. And the way that she removes the bees and the beehives is so beautiful. And it's so amazing how she does it. She doesn't even wear gloves and protection half the time. She scoops them up with her, she's just scoops them up with her hand. Like, and she's so nice. Like, she's just this blonde, really nice lady from Texas. And she drives around with her little pickup truck. And, and like, she just saves the bees. And she's doing so much for our world and, and by saving the bees. And I love her. And the way she picks up the bees so gently and just throws them in she to the box. That. She does that. She did that. She does that. And then the way she just picks up, like, there was one video that she did. And then she picked up, like, a, a whole co- like a whole comb of honey. She, like, there's, like, bees in And she eats it. She takes a nice, like, she takes a bite of that chunk of honey. And there's bees in And I'm like, this, I'm so weirdly turned on by this. <laughs> what? <laughs> Monica, it's what? She's so beautiful. She's really pretty. And she took a, she took a huge chunk of that 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 honeycomb she ate that with bees on it and there's bees all over her hands and i was like whoa she's powerful be i just want to be in the presence of this queen literally a queen a queen bee (laughs) a queen (laughs) she's literally a queen bee she's like i can spot a queen from like oh that's a queen and she gets she just grabs the queen the clip and she's like this is a this is a bee clip and i'm like oh my god that's a bee clip i love bees so much they're my they're my favorite things ever i never see a bee i just want to save it you know oh they're so adorable that's so cute. but like just moving on from from my little rant and my little tangent about how much i love bees and how much i love texas bee works and how much i love this one woman who is the ceo of texas bee works um yeah but the the act of pollination is kind of how flowers and plants like reproduce right so the bees are basically kind of the vessels of flowers having sex basically like like the pollinators include wind water butterflies birds bats and of course bees right Mm -hmm. now bees of course do a lot of pollination meaning that they're one of the biggest pillars of pollination and as such plant reproduction and life so what we see in the third act of bee movie is in essence a demonstration of what happens when the bees stop doing their thing in the movie it's because they have a surplus of honey but of course in real life we know that it's because the like the bee population is in decline and that's why texas bee works is amazing because she is saving the bees she is she's doing hands-on work by saving the bees the bees bees save us yeah and she's doing that in real life but the double-edged sword of exaggeration lies in fiction Mm -hmm. like for one part with that artistic license you're allowed to do potentially overstate the consequences which climate scientists often cannot due to their integrity and being fucking nerds Mm, mm. as a result like because of this fiction you get more awareness but the other edge of that sword is that that exaggeration means that there's actually less comprehension of the issue being spread like what happens is the audience knows something's up something bad is happening but they don't actually know how what the specifics or how to fix it Mm -hmm. like 
Yeah, well, if you look at it, you can see that B-movie actually does contend that we need interdependence and cooperation between bees and humans so that we can all survive. Like, we have to live and work together to fix what humans have screwed up because we've screwed up a lot of stuff. We've done so much. We've done so much that is wrong. But the honest is on the humans. Like, we are such dickheads to everything that we touch. And to provide the bees that opportunity to thrive as well, we need to do that. However, in Bee Movie, the bees aren't dead, so the problem gets solved nice and easily, which, as you said, is not an accurate reflection of our current situation. Like, the bees are dying because of us. In Bee Movie, Mm. they're just like, they're just having a nice little vacation. Yeah, they're just vibing. Exactly, but in our situation, that's more scarier because... The bees are actually dying. We can't magically just click our fingers, just do a fucking, like, gaunt, like infinity gauntlet snap to bring everyone back. We can't bring all the bees back. And mm. that's scary, is that we rely on the bees. But the bees really, really rely on us to survive as well. Yeah, and that moral of interdependence and, like, working together and saving the bees, mm. that's all very well and good for a kid's movie. Yeah. But, you know, we said earlier, B-movie isn't a kid's movie. Yeah. It's a children's movie that isn't for kids. And that exact fact, that strangeness of it all being in our collective memories, but Mm. having so many mature jokes that you only get once you become an actual person just makes it so ripe for going back and memeing on it. Yeah, and because we love sucking all of the fun out of things... Let's see if we can define a meme. You cannot define a meme, Monica. Okay, they said that. Like they said the exact same thing about postmodernism, but and you can't define postmodernism either. But it's all just a paradox because if you say that you can't define something, that's a definition in itself, right? Yep, and like part of like and like postmodernism, the idea of the meme stems from that. It is a postmodern identity. It's a postmodern entity. Okay, although I... okay, although it does feel really weird going on academic sources to explain what a meme is. When you do what you are doing, it's essentially putting words to cultural phenomena that seem to escape explanation outside of the primal comprehension. Sure. Academia is slow and restricted, and restricted, whereas internet culture is fast, dynamic, and constantly changing. And yes, the book that I read for this section had subsections on flash mobs, lolcats, and rage comics. <laughs> what? Okay, I I know they wrote about this, but there is still some value in academia, as it is the only when it, it's it, it's good for only when we can define a meme properly that we can study and analyze it, so that there is some purpose for it. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but that's if you want to study memes, like. like- that's true. Like now, like one primary scholar, like scholar Dawkins, like he did this beyond more of a biological kind of point of view, more of a science take on it. But he defined the meme as a unit of cultural transmission of a unit of imitation, which is rather vague and ambitious. So this brings up two different schools of thought on how to define a meme: behaviorist models and mentalist driven. Now, to skip all of the bullcrap of Gen X academics arguing, let's stick with Schiffman's definition, right? So, to them, there are three characteristics a thing must have to consider it a meme. The first Mm -hmm. is being a digital item that has common characteristics of content, form, and stance. The second is the act of creation with awareness of other memes. And the third is the circulation, imitation, and transformation through the internet by many users and participants of digital culture like see that wasn't so painful nick yeah but okay other than that the fact that we've made a habit of defining terms before we discuss them how is it actually relevant because memes aren't just like little fun things that you spend most of your day looking at they can actually be very important cultural artifacts and movements. Like with Dawkins, he was talking about the meme generating from being a gene. So genes replicate themselves, they imitate themselves. That is in the book, The Selfish Gene, which I highly recommend. Um, But that's kind of where the idea of memetics kind of came from. And B-movie may have been underwhelming on its original release, but... 
through the use of memes, we see a new level of interaction and engagement far beyond the passive viewer because of this imitation, because of this re like this replication. The meme is a digital internet gene. That's what it is. So that means that memes can actually be cancer. <laughs> yeah, we mentioned uh, the video B-movie, but every time they say B, it gets faster earlier. But that wasn't the first B-movie meme, was it, Monica? No. It is, it's quite hard to trace back the original B-movie meme because it's like trying to trace anything back, especially if it's a meme or especially when it's on the internet. It's incredibly mm. difficult because it gets kind of piled on and piled on with more memes and more memes. So some people will say it happened on Tumblr in 2011 when somebody seemingly unironically posted the opening frame monolo- monologue with the hashtag inspirational hashtag inspirational hashtag inspirational mm. now other people say it started when people started posting the entire bmu script on their mates facebook walls all through text i used to do that now what we do know is that in 2012 the tumblr part exploded with bmovie memes for no discernible reason and one day, the entire B-movie script ended up being on a shirt that went viral, which was the first of it, of, which is the first of the like resurgence in B-movie that its writers had heard of. One of them even bought that shirt. And also, I think the biggest thing is YouTube. Like, because of YouTube, I feel like B-movie kind of mm. grew upon that. Like, you like jazz? You like jazz? Like, that's literally the only fucking meme that i love in the there's so much memes in the film that i quote but that's just the one that like is hardwired in my brain it's rife for like compilations and all mm, that like mm, mm. i watched um b movie but it's literally just ken because <laughs> ken's the best character <laughs> ken so is amazing. it's just every bit where it's only ken mm. and yeah laughed my ass off because ken just the best yeah but yeah Anyway, I caught something there. The writers of B-Movie, they know it's a meme? Yeah, they're actually pretty pleased with that as well. Like, I mean, if I made something, like, for it to be funny, for it to be just for laughs, and then for it to be just for laughs and it treated as a meme, Mm. I would be happy with that, you know? Like, obviously, they were confused because they're boomers and Gen Xs. But they were happy, nonetheless. Now, I mean, one of them said that B-Movie is a very quirky, goofy sort of film, and weirder things have definitely Mm -hmm. been memed. But they don't know whether they're getting made fun of, or whether people genuinely like B-Movie now. I mean, does anyone? Like, it's gotten to the point where I personally Mm. have no, very little idea where the line is between liking something ironically and unironically. Like, it's sort of gone from, like, a hard line to, like, a blurry mm, yeah. spectrum. Nowadays, mm-hmm. I think the distinction doesn't even matter, because I like the thing regardless. Sure, maybe when I first signed up to Letterboxd, I gave a few ironic, like, five out of five stars. Like, I think I maybe mm. did that to Legally Blonde. And then mm. I rewatch it, and it's like, oh my god, I'm actually enjoying this on the same level as I would enjoy something like Goodfellas. <laughs> There is, I, I quite have a few like nine, like ironic five star ones. My favorite one is Barbie the Island Princess. <laughs> I was wondering if that was ironic. <laughs> That's not ironic. I genuinely enjoyed that film, even though it kind of focused a lot about colonialism and the monarchy. I actually really genuinely love the songs and I love just, I, I love it. It's great. And I gave that a 10 out of 10, five stars. And you know how in Letterboxd, I'm very picky with five stars. Yeah, you've got, you had like less than 20 when I last roasted Mm. you on Mm. it. I think I have like 30-ish now, only because I'm being a bit more, I'd say, liberal with it. But yeah, I, I kind of just really loved Barbie and the Island Princess because of nostalgia. I think I might have given The Room five stars as well because I went to go see it um, in Cinema Nova, like a midnight screening, and they were like throwing spoons and stuff. I don't know. It was pretty fun. Um, I'm pretty sure there's other like five stars. I don't really remember. I gave Twilight, I think, five stars, obviously, because it's Twilight. And I gave Captain America the the Soldier five stars because I'm Mm. always going to talk about this film all the time um, because of one particular character. 
Um, not yet. We're not going to mention his name. He is the one that should not be it named. Will, it will start like a 45-minute tangent about red no burgundy henleys like the only film out of like my five stars that i can definitely point at and say yes this isn't a one of my 10 out of 10 because there's a crocodile in it and b it's not a 10 out of 10 because i actually think it's a 10 out of 10 Mm. the only one that's there these days is food fight that's the only one where I can genuinely see and, like, go, yeah, that's actually, like, ironic. Oh, my goodness. Everything else, I think I'm living in a post-ironic mindset. Mm. Like, you know, you go to see bad movies to make jokes and, like, laugh at them, mm. to, like, emulate that mystery science theater 3K style, like, as a personal experience. Mm-hmm. And it's fun and all, but at some point it's also nice to just sit down and take, like, unironic pleasure in something to laugh with the absurdity of B-Movie. Like, in B-Movie, Sting the Guitarist is arrested for B-cultural appropriation. <laughs> they shoot Winnie the fucking Pooh. There's a lethal setting on the shower head, and for no explicable reason, they just can't stop insulting Rayleigh Oda. That's genuinely funny. <laughs> that is. I actually don't know who Rayleigh Oda is. He's the main character in Goodfellas. I, Not that I he's the main actor. I haven't seen Goodfellas. And I call myself a film student. <laughs> yeah, you haven't seen every single one of Martin Scorsese's films? You fucking oh whore. Oh my god, trust me. I was talking, this is a really another with tangent, but I was talking to a mate of mine, and he was like, you haven't seen Taxi Driver? You haven't seen Goodfellas? You haven't, you, you haven't seen The King of Comedy? And I was like... I, I haven't. He's like, about Tarantino. I and I was like, worse. I haven't seen a lot of t- Tarantino films. The only one I've seen is the one I hate the most. And they were, he was just like, what? How? Oh, I, I thought you were a film student. Like, you're, you, you, if you're a cinephile, then you should... There's a white boy film student directors, I though. I know, that's why I think, like, maybe I should just be like, um, have you heard of Andrei Tarkovsky? Hmm? Have you heard of Agnes Varda? They're like, what? Who, who is this? And I'm like, guys, they're like... Park Chan Wook. Park Chan Wook, huh? Kim Ki Duk, huh? Bong, uh, obviously, everyone knows Bong Joon Ho, but like, yeah. like even Lee. Well, now they do. Last year, they, they probably like, wouldn't two have. Two years ago, I thought, like, who's Bong Joon Ho? Bitch, he is a man that I'm a ho for. Um, <laughs> I'm a Bong Joon Ho, anyways. But I guess it all comes back to the fact that films now, as opposed to cult classics, can, like, I don't know, instead become, like, meme classics. Like, films aren't really necessarily undepreciated or unsuccessful, but provide a ripe treasure trove of meme material. Like, weirder films are usually better, and B-movie, let's face it, it gets so weird. It does. Mm. One of the writers, like, admitted that they would, in the room where they were writing it, they would, like, sometimes forget that Barry was actually, like, a bee. So they'd be writing all these scenes between Barry and Veronica, and they'd just be writing all these lines and all these things. Mm. And then there'd, like, be a moment where they'd be like, whoops, that's too romantic. This guy's a bee. Let's dial it back a bit, because this has become bestiality. Can we just talk about that <laughs> aspect of bestiality and how they, they made Barry B. Benson fall in love with Veronica as a human? How do they simulate sexual intercourse? How does fornication happen? I, I don't think they do, because looking back on it, they don't actually seem to be in love-love. They actually do just seem to be friends. I'm just saying, because that's how they that's how the film depicts them as. They've depicted them in very romantic context. That's why I come to the assumption that they're romantic partners. Like, I'm just saying, but you don't have, like, you don't have, like, a dinner, and it's, like, on the top of a rooftop, and then you see the skyline, and it gets kind of romantic, and she's, like, kind of pulling her, she's, like, putting her hair behind her ears shyly like that isn't what friends do when we've had dinner nick have have i ever put my hair behind my ear and looked at you seductively have i no (laughs) i'm veronica does all of this stuff which is kind no, of like what we that's because i'm ugly as fuck i'm not the sex machine that is barry b benson 
Speaking of, like, the rom-com aspect, you also have that thing where Barry is kind of a homewrecker. Like, I don't know, was Ken, like, engaged to Vanessa or something? I think so. It could also, oh my god, I was just like, no male, no male discussion of masculinity, but I'm about to do it. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) It could also be seen as... Ken wants to be the alpha male, but he's being challenged for his status by Barry. That is true. And it sort of emasculates him, which is why you also notice near the end he becomes more frantic and his voice becomes higher in pitch as he's more distressed, emulating being a female, thus actually literally just being emasculated. Oh, the fear of castration. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Anyways, um, let's talk about Ken. Oh, he's a fucking legend. I love him mm, so mm. much. <laughs> he's because mm. he's, he's the only normal person in this movie. He's like the straight yeah. man, and usually the straight man in a comedy is like the one that brings you down to earth. But because this is so mm. absurdist of a film, the the fact that he brings you down to earth and the fact that he's the everyman, he's he's the straight man. Not in the heterosexual way, but, you know. <laughs> in it, the, like, it, yeah. It makes him the Man. funniest character, because... It, he is actually so hilarious. I especially love his overreaction. He's just like... I know, I mean, like... Yeah. If I... Okay. If somebody... If a bee was vibing <laughs> with... Was vibing in my relationship, I would re, I would retract the save, save the bees. I would be so much like Ken... I'll be, I'll be. <laughs> yeah, you you become Ken when a bee starts threatening your relationship. At first you're like, wait, no, there's a bee in that guacamole. Don't eat that. Save the bees. And then the bee starts fucking your girl. Fuck that bee. Italian Vogue for you. Exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, there's some really crazy, it's crazy cast of people that are in bee movie. Bee movie. Oh my I don't... god, weird amount of it's such a like you hear these voices and you're like wait is that who i think it is is that chris rock as a stoner mozzie yeah it's like you're you're a kid so you don't really know like actors yet mm-hmm. and then you rewatch it as an adult and it's like this is chris rock he's he's a stoner mozzie is this a racial thing is it because chris rock's black it might what? be. Yeah, I don't know. That felt weird. Because black sense and black people are funny. Let's laugh at them. Ha, ha, ha. It's not, based... it's not even the black scent. It's the fact that the only character who is a druggie of their own accord mm. is voiced by a black man. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's a yikes. That is a big yikes, actually. Yeah, that, that's All yikes. the other bees and insects, they get drugged non-consensually. Mm-hmm. And they're mostly white cast, mm-hmm. and then you get Chris Rock as a stoner. It's mm. like, ooh, this, especially because the CIA, the CIA manufactured the crack ep- epidemic in the nineteen eighties to disproportionately target African Americans. Like, and then you pull out later in the film the species card. Like, wait, the as- species card. Yeah, they're like, oh, what are you doing? Pulling the species card? And it's like, okay, that's obviously a reference to the race card. That's the race card. Speaking of actors that you don't recognize as a kid, what the fuck is with the Ray Liotta thing? Like, you get so many jokes about Ray Liotta. I actually, I didn't even know who Ray Liotta is. Like, I still don't know who he is. And then I was, like, watching the movie and I was like, am I supposed to know this guy? Like, he looks familiar, but am I supposed to know this guy? And he's, like, a really weird, interesting thing. It was, like, in grade six... And they played B-Movie on, like, our, like, little party night, like, our little party day. And so you watch B-Movie, and they're like, oh, it's by Jerry Seinfeld. Does anybody know who Jerry Seinfeld is? To a group <laughs> of, like, sixth graders. And we're just staring at them. And all, and all of us, all the kids are all Asian because we went to a school that was very, like, we went, like, it was all Asian. So we went to a school that had no white people. So everyone's sitting there like, what? <laughs> well, who's Jerry Seinfeld? I don't know who that is. And so the teachers just really expected us to know who he was. But we didn't. And they played the movie. And there was just some weird stuff going on. And I was like, I don't know what's going on in this movie. And that was the first time I watched B-Movie. So, mm. facts. I don't know when the first time I watched B-Movie was. But I remember, I think I watched it last year. And I'm just like, even then, I'm like, I'm 19. Who the fuck is Ray Liotta? 
what? And then, like, earlier this year, I watched Goodfellas, and I'm like, the credits rolled, and I'm like, Ray Liotta, where do I know that name from? And then this week, it finally fucking clicked when I rewatched it. I'm like, he's the bitch from Goodfellas. He's, he's in a gangster film. Yeah. Why is he? Why did? Where did this come from? How did? How did Seinfeld get Ray Liotta on a B movie? Well, apparently, like Ray Liotta, like act heard what Jerry Seinfeld was doing, and so mm. they bumped into each other, and Ray Liotta was just like. Hey, wouldn't mind being in that. And then, like, a couple years later, because animated films take ages to, like, do. Jerry Seinfeld is like, uh, who's who's the last person you would expect to see waltzing into an animated movie as themselves? And then he remembered that conversation with Ray Liotta, so he got Ray Liotta in the film. Oh my god, just, that's crazy. It literally came from who is the last person you would expect. And yeah, it's yeah, true. that's the last person I would expect. That one guy from that Martin Scorsese movie that was, unlike Robert De Niro, never called back for another Scorsese movie. Yeah. Poor Leota. Well, he didn't do a terrible job. Yeah. But what? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, And can we just talk about the plane scene? I, I, I literally can. <laughs> the plane scene? Like, what was happening? Like, um, okay, bees. Bees are very strong. They they they're quite strong, but they're not like mm. ants. But like I saw that plane scene as like a G-rated version of I don't know if you've seen Flying High or Airplane. Oh, um, I have seen Airplane. It's the same movie, okay. just different names. Mm. In Australia, it's called Flying High. Yeah, but it was widely released as Airplane with mm. an exclamation mark. Yeah, I I kind of like saw it as like an homage to that Mm. other than that i'm just like this is a weird way to end your film seinfeld i know yeah but can we just talk about the legal aspect of of b movie because i did not expect a legal scene in the film and okay this is such a weird thing because of b movie i actually wanted to be a lawyer for like two weeks when i was a kid (laughs) Because I thought, because so I thought, that, I thought that's how like lawyers work. They just stood there and be like, "I am against that. I do not like that." He, he did yeah, not murder him. Um, I actually watched the Legal Eagle video because he did a video on um, B movie. So the first thing that's wrong is you can't sue the entire human race. <laughs> then it's like, <laughs> no, they don't have a lawyer. Vanessa's not a lawyer, yeah. so she can't <laughs> help Barry, who is also not a lawyer. Then the biggest one is, like, Adam just straight up assaults a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, look, that bee sting is assault. Yeah, it is assault. And here's the thing, here's another fun fact, is that bees don't actually want to sting anybody. Yeah. Because they, they will die, like, afterwards. But, there's just, yeah, there's a lot wrong with the legal scene, but I thought it was really wholesome and nice to, like, have that nice kind of underdog where, like, B tries to fight, like, a fat white guy. Oh, th- that was John Goodman. And was legend, it? Oh, my God. Legend has it that John Goodman, to this very day, is still picking out the scenery from his teeth because, by God, he chews that fucking scene when he's in there. He just... Mm. Choose the scenery. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Amazing. He did really well. It's an amazing performance. But yeah, the legal scene was actually kind of enjoyable because I hate legal scenes. I would say but it's the high it point. Also, it, is, it, it is the high point. I actually loved it. Like, I loved it. Even look, yeah. Everything builds up to it, structurally mm, speaking. And yeah. then after it, it's mostly the fallout. So the legal scene is basically the best bit and did you know the judge is actually Oprah? Are you kidding? They managed to get all of these yeah, names. Yeah, they, they, they got so many names. Uh, Jer- Jerry Seinfeld actually really hounded Renee Z- Zellweger like, to get her to voice Vanessa. Her voice just has a very certain quality to it. And so he's just like, please be in my movie, please be in my movie, please be in my movie. And she's like, okay, fine. Mm, and she has a very like interesting, distinct voice. Like, mm. I remember I was watching Shark Tale, and I could just tell it was her. I was like, that's Renee Zellweger. But, B-Facts. Let's give me some B-Facts. I love bees. 
Now, I said a lot of facts today because um, in like kind of later previously, like bees are all female. Bees don't like male, like male bees are called drones. Um, but do you know that a bee actually produces a teaspoon of honey, about five grams in her lifetime? Because all remember, bees are women. All worker bees are women. The queen is a woman. It is basically like an anti patriarchy it is a matriarchy i don't care it makes me happy like i was like bees don't need a man they only need a man to have sex and they die and i if i had like an idea of what did we say about assigning meaning to the bees it would be the exact same thing as if she called me I would be like, I would be the queen. All I do is fuck and lay, like, lay eggs and all these bees do all the work. And, like, they produce, like, a kilogram of honey. Bees fly the equivalent of three times around the world in air miles. Do they get frequent flyer points? <laughs> I wish. Flybys? <laughs> mm, okay, and do you know that the type of flower the bees take their nectar from actually determines the honey's flavor as well? Every time you eat honey, it's all a different flavor because they're taking different flowers and different pollen, right? And do you know that bees, whenever they mate, because only the queen mates, they mate in the sky, so they, they fuck in the sky, and afterwards, the male bees loses all of his reproductive organs and dies. That's a fat mood. <laughs> yeah it's a fat mood it's what i think the role of men should be um for humans as well um (laughs) and the queen bee also can produce two thousand eggs a day imagine like giving birth two thousand times a day and fertilized eggs basically becomes females and then un and then some unfertilized eggs actually become male you know with the help of pheromones and stuff huh yeah this is a bit yeah. more about bee reproduction than I cared to learn about. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Do you know bees' favorite color is blue? Ooh. And they love cluster plants like lavender and rosemary. They love blue. That's and why they love my front garden. Yeah, and so if you want to get more bees in your garden, you have to grow more kind of flat, like more colors. Like they love yellow and blue. And like, do you know there are over 20,000 different species of bee? Found in every continent except Antarctica. So there's no crossover movie between Bee Movie and Happy Feet. <laughs> I would love the crossover. That'd be so. That'd be the oh, most. Oh no, that'd be horrifying. <laughs> that'd be amazing. The worst. Bee Movie Happy Feet. Um, happy bees. Yeah. Happy bees. Yeah. Yeah, but like honey has also been shown to have many health benefits both when eaten and when applied to the skin as well i used to use a lot of honey when i did my skincare um the darker the honey it means it's a better taste as well and, yeah because you know, honey's antibacterial isn't it it is honey it can, is so honey is amazing it's one of the few foods that can survive literal centuries like i think a couple of years ago they found like ancient egyptian honey and they're like yeah technically this is still edible and it's like please nobody eat this though please don't eat this guys it's like it's it's a technically doesn't mean you should exactly and the bee is the bee is actually the only social insects to be partially domesticated by humans as shown by erica thompson in texas bee works bees okay i saw this photo on twitter and it was these two bees that were cuddling together and they were cuddling inside a flower like inside a flower and they were holding each other's legs and i've never wanted to cry before because i want that so badly i just want to i just want to hold a bee i just want to be a bee holding another bee and we're both girls lesbian bees (laughs) (laughs) lesbians lesbians oh my god i feel like bees I don't care about what you say about enforcing my own things, but I think all bees are lesbians. I think you just need more queer representation. We just need so much more queer representation. Because at this point, we're calling the bees all the LGBTs <laughs> and Ts. That is true. That is true. I, I, bees are amazing, amazing beings. <laughs> <laughs> now... Mon, we're shaking things up a bit next week, aren't we? Yes, we are. We're actually going to have a guest. 
Yes. Ooh, is it Khan? Thankfully, no. <laughs> We're going to be talking to a man who's actually been in a film, you know. He is he is a lord, a god amongst men. He's a writer, mm-hmm. an archer, a poi dancer, a cellist, Ooh. a singer, a DM, a dead body, and most importantly, he's our friend. Oh, good. So it's definitely not Khan. But until then, you can find us on Facebook at As Film Student Podcast. Fill your Instagram feed with awesome graphics from Mon at As Film Student Pod, or be our seventh follower on Twitter at As Film Student. And you can get our film reviews on Letterboxd at As Film Student. All the links will be in the description as well as our sources. And until next time, I've been Nick, and I've been Mon. See ya.